Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. Hey everybody, welcome to episode three of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and I'm coming to you today with a glassware crash course interview with Andrew Whitehead, a.k.a. Liquorary. By day, Andy is a mild-mannered, luxuriously bearded father who takes his daughters to the Baltimore Aquarium to see their favorite sea creatures. But by night, he's a vintage glassware expert bent on finding Art Deco martini glasses and stately, heavy-bottomed rocks glasses to grow his collection and spread the joy of home bartending. In this episode, we talk about almost everything under the glassware sun, including the basic types of cocktail glasses, vintage versus modern glassware, how to take care of your cocktail glassware, tips for breakage-prone drinkers, and much, much more. Someone once told me that I've got a face for radio, but Andy truly has a voice for podcasting. He's extremely knowledgeable, well-spoken, and really great at making the fine nuances of vintage and modern glassware accessible. This episode was a blast to record, and I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed putting it together. So without further ado, sit back and take in the wonderful world of cocktail glassware with Andy Whitehead. Hey everybody, it's Eric, and you're listening to the Modern Bar Cart podcast right now. I'm here with Andy Whitehead from Liquorary, and today we are going to talk about glassware. Andy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, as we just get settled in here, can you just tell our listeners about who you are, a little bit of background on you, and how you got into glassware? Because you have you have kind of a unique story. Sure. Um, so, uh, like you said, I'm, I'm a literary on Instagram and on Etsy, where we have a, a vintage glassware shop. Um, I'm, I consider myself an amateur enthusiast of, of all things cocktails. Um, you know, sort of the thing I do uh, that's not the day job that keeps me sane. And uh, the the story behind getting into vintage glassware uh, starts with my day job, which is for the Department of Defense. I spent some time in Iraq back in 2011, where I wasn't allowed to drink and uh, I wasn't allowed to eat any good food. And when I came back, I basically ate and drank my way through the city and discovered how much I love cocktails. And we started doing a weekly cocktail column on my wife's uh, blog. And we started collecting cool vintage glassware just for our own sake to have, you know, for, for cool shots on the on the website. And eventually, sort of by accident, we amassed a big enough collection that we decided to open up our own shop and start selling some of the extra stuff. And, and in the course of doing that, I, I don't say I have an expertise in it, but I know a lot more about vintage glassware than I, than I did when I started. For sure. Yeah. That, that's really interesting because we're so we're in Washington DC right now and 2011 you said you came back from Iraq and started eating your way through the city and that sort of and correct me if I'm wrong that that kind of coincided with a 
culinary and beverage, I, I don't want to say renaissance, but it, it, it definitely an explosion here in D.C. when things started getting really exciting, right? Yeah, so it, it was actually this, you know, really fortuitous coincidence. So I'm back from Iraq. It's, it's August of 2011. Um, so the city normally gets pretty empty anyway. Congress is on recess and all the college kids are gone. And um, there was an earthquake and a hurricane at the, you know, roughly the same time. And there just wasn't anybody in town. And it was not that long after the Columbia Room had opened Derek Brown's bar within the passenger. And we just sort of strolled in on a Wednesday afternoon and we had the place to ourselves for hours. And we got to sort of pick their brains for a really long time and just discover a lot about cocktails and, and why they were so wonderful and what had happened to them over the course of the 20th century, you know, sort of the, the ebb and flow of, of, of cocktails. And this was the original Columbia Room. That's right, yeah, right. before they, they moved it. Wow, that's, that's a really cool story. Uh, so... That moving on to glassware and sort of the role it plays in cocktail, I mean, I want to pick your brain about sort of two ends of the spectrum. I want to talk about how to build your bar cart and how if, if you're a person who is, you know, just starting to get into cocktails, you're just starting to start putting this stuff together and then purchasing it. How do you go about that? And then I also want to talk about, I guess, more generally and perhaps more esoterically, but we don't have to get super, super abstract or anything, but what is the role of glassware in a cocktail experience, in your opinion? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think I think it's really easy to get trapped in, you know, this the, the game of one-upmanship of trying to, you know, make everything as flourishy as possible. And I, I like to tell people that, you know, you can, you can drink an amazing cocktail out of a flip cup and it's still going to be an amazing cocktail, right? The glassware isn't what makes or breaks it. But there are, you know, things that you can do just like you might put craft bitters into a cocktail to bring it up that much. You can put it into, you know, a vintage glass or a well-made modern glass that's going to give you just that added aesthetic. Um, so this this one, I brought this one over. Uh, it's, it's one of my all-time favorites. Um, it's made by Libby. It's uh, from the Rock Sharp line. Libby is this prolific glassmaker that's still around. And it's, you know, it's sort of this classic cocktail glass shape. It's the precursor to the, the Art Deco martini glass. But you'll see that it's it's not quite as shallow, right? So it doesn't spill as easily. Right. Um, and it is really tiny, right? So this is actually just three and a half ounces, which means if you're mixing a Manhattan or a martini and you've got three ounces of alcohol and you stir it and add half an ounce of liquid, you get this perfect wash line right at the at the rim. Oh wow. And it just it's got it's got a little bit of weight to it. So you can you you know that you've got a drink in your hand, you're not gonna slosh it around by accident. It's a lot harder to spill it. It's got this nice sort of faceted handle that gives you a nice grip. It's got a, a nice sort of visceral feel to it in your hand. And it just gives you that clean, sort of that perfectly clean line of, of where a cocktail should end. And it also means that you're only making, you know, you're making exactly the right size cocktail. This is what you should be sipping and it's still going to be cold down to the last sip. You don't want this like 11 ounce behemoth that it's going to be warm by the time you get to the bottom. 
bottom. So it's just sort of little little things like that that can just make it a little bit a little bit nicer. Sure. I what I'm so I'm really fascinated with some of the words that you were using: faceted, visceral, clean, a perfect wash line. And I think that all of these or, or many of these are terms that most people wouldn't necessarily think about when it when it comes to making a drink and. I think the most common, maybe not, it's not a misconception, but the most common thing to do when you get a cocktail is to think about the cocktail as the thing that's in the glass as opposed to the glass, the thing that's in the glass, the garnish, the person who made it, the place where you are. And those are the things that I'm really fascinated by when it comes to cocktails because you can be a great cocktail technician. You can learn the math that goes into things like dilution. You can learn the ratios you can have 20 to 50 craft cocktails memorized but i think it it takes a really creative mind to be able to take those technical things and then move them into a softer more creative area where you're thinking about things like the glass thinking about how if you're in a bar setting you're going to be hospitable and the same in like if you're having a cocktail party at your house how can you be how can the the service or the hospitality Hospitality aspect be played up. Um, would you mind talking? First of all, uh, follow up on the the maker of this glass. You said Libby. Libby, yeah, yeah. Can you talk more about Libby? Are they American? Yeah, so it's it's an American company. Um, you know, back you know in the in the nineteen fifties or so, there used to be dozens and dozens of, of glassware manufacturers uh, in the United States. It was a it was a big industry, and now there's really only a handful left. And Libby is is one of the few that's left. Um, a lot of the vintage stuff that's out there that's available is is Libby because they were so prolific and their their current line is everything that you'd expect from like a modern glass manufacturer their their cocktail glasses are really kind of uninspired and over large and they have this this history of making these awesome glasses and uh, it's just you know it's one of the, it's one of those things that I think was was lost still around but I get no sense that anybody working there now really remembers what they used to put out. Okay. Uh, and then the other follow-up that I had was, could we talk a little bit more about some of these other glasses here on the table? Because I feel like uh, they're going to spawn some good conversations that can sure. lead us into some other things I want to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, your question about how to, how to stock a, a bar cart. I mean, I think, you know, the three basic kinds of glasses for cocktails that are good to have around just in terms of, you know, pure function are, you know, lowball glasses like like this one. Um, this one is, uh, I think, Dorothy Thorpe. So it's this, you know, fairly simple lowball glass with a nice heavy bottom, but it's got this great silvered rim, and a lot of the a lot of the silvered glassware that you see is by her. And you know, that's anything from you know your your old fashions to a mai tai can go into this. Anything with a lot of crushed ice or yep. a big ice cube like your rum punch, and then highball glasses, obviously, and these are probably the easiest ones to find in uh, in vintage terms because there are just so many of them out there and that's you know any any long drink that you're going to make from you know a mojito or a Tom Collins and then sort of the, the all-purpose star is the, the coupe glass and you can put pretty much 
anything in a coupe glass. You can put an old fashioned in a coupe glass if you wanted. You can put any kind of daiquiri. You can put any kind of stirred drink. And so these are just you know three examples of ones that I, that I have uh, at home. But they can you know you can they can be anything really. But these are this is the simplest thing. If you you don't want to go crazy over stuffing your house with old glass like like I have, these are sort of the three basic ones to, to think about. Right. So just so just so folks can picture this, and and what we're gonna do here is we're going to post a ton of photos in the show notes. We're going to link to glassware manufacturers like Libby so that you can go and check out the stuff that they have. But just so you can picture a little bit better what's here on the table in front of us, in front of us we have a couple terms that I want to just circle back on. And of course, you know, you can you can correct me if I'm sure. yeah, I'm incorrect on any of this, Andy. Lowball glasses are essentially what you think of as a rocks glass or a tumbler, right? It's yeah. a it's a it's a short squat glass that you can't generally the normal person can't close their entire hand around the glass. You you know it feels substantial in your hands. This one holds probably about about twelve ounces. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think that's pretty normal. I think eight to twelve yeah. is pretty normal. Would that be considered perhaps a double old fashioned glass? Yeah. I mean, I it's very rare I think to come across either vintage or modern anything that's not a double old-fashioned glass. I, I kind of treat this as the standard yep. size. Yeah. Yeah. And then a highball glass. So that would be a lowball glass. So different words for a lowball glass would be rocks glass, tumbler, lowball, old-fashioned glass. And then uh, a highball, really, there's only one name for that glass. You sometimes see them called Tom Collins. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, it's this, it's this tall, narrow glass it probably holds, you know, 14 to 16 ounces. Right. And these are really popular in restaurants where you're going to get something like a mojito where they're going to stack some ice. I know that the Columbia room, what they really like to do with their Collins glasses is they like to take a large slender piece of ice instead of a cubicle uh, block of ice. They take a long slender uh, sort of rectangular prism sh- uh, shaped piece of ice and they put that in their Collins glasses and those are usually for lighter summery citrus forward drinks where you might stick some mint in there so the the the, the popular ones are going to be the mojito the tom collins the caipirinha these really i can't really describe them better than and the tropical soda water or tonic water too is, is going to need one of these just yeah. as the you know the volume if nothing else yeah and generally what is a a collins glass hold the ones that I've come across, I mean, this is one of the fun things that I've, I've discovered running the glassware shop because I measure the volume of every glass that comes along. Um, so that could be anything from 12 ounces to 16 or 18 ounces. Some of them get pretty big and they, you'd be surprised at how much some of them hold. They don't look that big until you mm. start measuring and you discover actually it's a lot bigger. So how do you do that? Is it just as simple? Like I'll tell you how I would do it if yeah. I were you. I would fill the glass up to the top and then I would pour it into a measuring cup. That's, that's exactly what it is. So, <laughs> okay. Sometimes, sometimes uh, when I have time on my hand, I use a jigger and so sort of go ounce by ounce, especially when I want to get, you know, like like with this one, like I said earlier, the, the Libby cocktail glass where it's only three and a half ounces and I want it to be really precise. But yeah, obviously a mixing glass is the easiest way to, a measuring cup is the sure. easiest way to do it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so we've got the low ball glass, the highball glass, and then a group of glasses that I guess I would refer to as stemmed cocktail glasses. Yeah. And that would, that obviously includes the coupe and then this is maybe incorrect, but I would also distinguish a martini glass from a coupe glass, even though you can have a martini and a coupe glass. And yeah, so so that's I mean, this is this is one of the reasons why I like this Libby glass so much is because you can see it actually has sort of a flat bottom 
to the bowl. And that was the way cocktail glasses used to look. And in fact, a lot of them used to have much wider, flatter bottoms. Um, they, they were almost sort of like a, like a mini tumbler on a stem. And then the, you know, the modern Art Deco martini glass obviously has that, that perfect V shape. Um, so cocktail glasses, I sort of, I, I would only call glasses like this, and this is me being pedantic, obviously. Um, you know, the coupe glass is the stem glass with that rounded bowl. It started out as a champagne glass, you know, centuries ago in France, um, and then you discovered that it was actually really terrible for champagne because the wide surface area caused it to release its carbonation faster, but people loved the shape of the glass so much that it's, it's stuck around, and it, it's really sort of the all-purpose champion of cocktail glasses. It, it really is. I love my coupe glasses. I want to talk a little bit more about those two. Uh, so what you're doing, just to press pausing, and you're, you're drawing a distinction between cocktail glasses and coupe glasses. Yeah. Okay. And so the martini, the, the traditional V V-shaped martini glass, and any of the precursors to that, which might have wider, flatter bottoms and different shapes and capacities. Uh, maybe a Nick and Nora glass would fall into there, which are they tend to be a little bit higher than a coupe glass uh, and sometimes a little bit smaller capacity as well. Yeah, I mean those those always remind me of sort of baby wine glasses, right? I mean they're they're not really they're not really either. They're they're sort of a rounded bowl um, on a stem and, and you know the coupe glass I, I always point to it's it's got this, you know, it's it's really wide and it's really got a kind of a shallow wide bowl that's perfect for sipping. For sure. Uh, I am aware of one particular myth about the coupe glass. Uh, did, would you care to share that with is the it, listeners? Is it the Marie Antoinette breast yeah. mold? Yeah, yes. so that's the, the classic myth is that it was, uh, that the, the first coupe glass was made in the shape of uh, Marie Antoinette's breast. Though that is almost certainly not true. I'm pretty sure the coupe glass has been around a lot longer than that, but I think people like to make up stories about her and it's it's, it's one of those right ridiculous stories in cocktail history that's that's stuck around because people when they're thinking about cocktail history are probably drunk already so sure yeah yeah no i love that story and uh so coupe glasses are my favorite if i had to pick a, a favorite type of cocktail glass i'd pick coupe glasses and what i like about my coupe glasses you can actually see mine um i'll grab it really quick sure. here so what I like about my coupe glass is that it's a little bit taller and a little bit larger than some of the ones that you're going to find at restaurants and bars. Usually when you walk into a restaurant or a bar and you order a cocktail that comes in a coupe glass, there's this one standard coupe that almost inevitably shows up and it's a little bit stouter and more robust. It's like got a thicker glass. And if you check this one out, it's got, it's a little bit thinner and more delicate when it comes to the, the bowl, which is the top part of the glass that holds the liquid. But it's uh, I really like the the relationship of the bowl to the stem I think it has a really nice line and it allows me to when I do make cocktails I have a little bit of room at the top where I'm not it's not right up at the top because I have to walk myself from the kitchen <laughs> to the living room I can't just kind of glide it across a bar at someone right so, you always have to be careful right like I said this one you you fill this glass this this Libby glass right up to the top it makes it look pretty hard to put a garnish in right because you right. pretty quickly overflow so they're trade-offs, right? Sure. And and I think that for me, that's you're, you're looking at my cocktail, my martini glass, my V-shaped cocktail glass here. It's a lot steeper. The, the angle between the top of the glass and the bottom of the glass is a lot smaller than in some of the classic martini glasses that you'll see out there. I have used those and... 
I'll look to speak with somebody, and then it's a my disaster my drink will be side. running yeah. down my arm, and like it, this won't this won't be my third drink. This will be like the before I've taken a sip of my first drink, yeah. I've spilled half of it. So that's a, a personal preservation move on my part, I think. Absolutely. But so before we move too far beyond that, I'm noticing that some of your glasses have some really interesting either finishes or uh, decorations on them. And, and I think that's something that one tends to see more in vintage glassware, which is obviously your specialty. So what I'm hoping you can do is maybe take us through for maybe younger people who are used to only seeing glassware at bars or their parents' home who don't have vintage glass. like. What are some of the things that you can do to dress up glassware, which is usually clear and therefore doesn't really have anything else beyond its shape to recommend it? Right. So, I mean, like a lot of vintage glasses, and this was really popular mid-century, was, you know, to gild the glasses or, or silvered glasses, like the, the low ball over here. Mm-hmm. Um, like this, you know, this coupe over here has this great gilded rim. And not a lot of those have survived, unfortunately, because it does wear off. Right, and if you stick them in the dishwasher, which I have discovered a lot of people have done, uh, it just it strips that right off. And I Ooh. think I think glassware manufacturers probably moved away from it a while ago because it gets ruined so easily. And I feel like tastes have, have changed pretty dramatically over the years. Right, you know, you, you've got these spare unadorned glasses, but I mean, I don't think it it hurts a glass. You know, if it's like the Libby glass doesn't have any real decoration to it, I and mean, that's where you know. I, Maybe it's a question of, do you want the, the the drink itself to sort of be the star, or do you want to share the limelight with with a glass, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the highball glass that I got is one of these sets that used to be made or at least sold by airlines and gas stations would sell these commemorative matched sets. This one is Cities Around the World. I brought the Bombay one. Gotcha. Um, you know, and it's just, a, it's a decal, right? It's not anything particular fancy it's you know when I make a drink for Instagram these are actually pretty terrible glasses because the decal covers up pretty much all of the detail of the drink itself and so if you just want to show off a cool glass that's fine but if you want to show off the drink sometimes having something that doesn't have a lot of ornamentation on it and that's why I really like the gilded rims because it's sort of the best of both worlds right yeah I love the gilded rims personally I try to be a in in many situations a a moderate uh, and and I think that's a great way to have that adornment but to be able to also enjoy the the color of the drink be able to you know chill out with the garnish a little bit and and not have that occluded from your sight but I'm also noticing that some of your glasses have a sort of like a an oil slick or an uh, like a rainbow opalescent finish yeah so these are these are iridescent glasses and that was the the other cool thing um the so they were originally manufactured in like the 20s and 30s and fell out of style for a while and then were popular again in the 60s and 70s and then again fell out of style but um, it's really subtle you don't actually see it if you pour a dark drink into it but if you have something with a lot of ice if you have a lighter colored drink and you hold it up to the light you see these you know swirls of greens and blues and pinks that that is you know it's really cool yeah that's lovely is that something that they do to the glass like I, yeah the answer is yes but do you do you have any idea uh, i honestly have no idea how they manufactured it and so that was one of the things that I, the reason i brought these these two little you know one ounce thimble sized uh, cordial glasses right so the ones that were made 
made in the in the 60s and 70s were mostly just regular calcium glass, right? You know, there's there's calcium in the mix. When you clink them together, you know, you kind of get that thunk, right? That dull thunk. Um, right. In the 20s and 30s, they were making lead crystal glass where the, the lead took the place of calcium and it makes the glass stronger so you can make glasses a little bit thinner and it gives you this nice resonant ping oh, when wow. you clink them together. And so when you find iridescent glasses like this, I mean, I honestly don't know if they were doing it two different ways in the 20s and the, and the 60s, but a lot of the iridescent glass you'll find will be will actually be lead crystal glass, and you, that's the easiest way to you know find out is to delicately clink them together <laughs> and see yeah. if they give you that sound. The keyword being delicately, uh, yeah. that's great. So one of the things that I just want to point out, and this is because our generation has been and programmed to think that, that lead is a dirty word. If you go into a place and you see a, for example, a decanter, decanters are a common place where people encounter the word leaded crystal uh, because they're these big, a decanter is anything that you put a spirit or wine into to help that uh, breathe and kind of achieve its full potential by getting uh, a little bit of acquaintance with the air as opposed to being locked in its bottle. Uh, but you see a lot of leaded crystal there and then the only point I want to make is that lead in terms of glassware is not a bad thing. And I, I really like the auditory cue that you that you just gave yeah, us. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit more lustrous too, right? So if you if you give it a facet, you know, it kind of sparkles a little bit more, which are the you know the main reasons why they made glass with with lead, that it was it was prettier and mm -hmm. it was sturdier. I did a lot of research on this when I when I first started. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, when I first started discovering leaded glass, because the last thing I wanted to do was sell people poisonous glassware. And so I, I want to preface this by saying I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, you know, a scientist, a chemist, or anything like that. But my, my take on it is that if you leave, a, you know, if you pour a drink, or if you decant a bottle of wine that you're having for, for dinner that night, then you're, you're not in trouble. If you store alcohol in it for a long time, right? If you decant a bottle of scotch into a into lead crystal and let it sit, you run a risk that it will start to leach lead into into the alcohol. Right? Uh, ethyl alcohol is such a, a wonderful solvent; it just likes to absorb anything it touches. And so that's that's the key distinction, right? It's perfectly safe, I think, to drink a cocktail, and I, I drink cocktails from leaded glass all the time without concern. But um, I wouldn't store anything long term. Absolutely, uh, alcohol has really powerful extraction properties and so uh, definitely if you if you're considering using a, a leaded decanter or a leaded glassware in that way uh, definitely think twice uh, we're not saying don't do it but we're saying that we're not doctors and, and we don't we don't know what's gonna happen so uh, moral of the story is if you're just gonna drink a cocktail that's gonna be in that glass for like five minutes to a half an hour then you're totally you know in all likelihood just fine unless there's a, a some sort of deformity or you know defect in the glass. So uh, really interesting different ways there between the leaded glass, the iridescent glass, the gilding on the glasses, maybe the decals on the glasses. We've covered a bunch of different ways that you can look for glassware that's 
usually going to be vintage uh, because of current aesthetic preferences. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about what glassware is like today and maybe if you have any uh, thoughts about why it's different than it was uh, in terms of these vintage glasses that we have in front of us? Yeah, I mean, so I think the, the biggest thing that you'll notice is the is the size difference, right? And so like the, the Libby glass is three and a half ounces and, and I would guess that that cocktail glass is, is probably closer to, to maybe maybe 10 ounces. Um, and the, the coupe glass here is, I think, about five ounces, and I would guess that, that one's closer to eight. And so glasses just used to be much smaller, um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Though. I mean, I don't know what you could possibly drink out of these little one-ounce things, but, you know, except for highball glasses and lowball glasses, which are just sort of your standard workhorses, it's the, it's the coupes and the cocktail glasses that we're really talking about in terms of size. They're usually, the vintage glasses are usually smaller. You know, stuff from the 60s and, and 70s started to get a little bit bigger. The other thing is sort of the architectural detail of the glass, right? So modern glassware tends to have much cleaner lines, smoother lines. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your your coupe glass and it's got a, a fairly straight stem and, you know, like the cocktail glass, it's got a, a straight stem that sort of opens up into the bowl. But this, this coupe glass that I, that I brought, which I'm pretty sure is, is Art Deco, it's got this, you know, sort of bulging stem with a sphere on top and it's just got a lot more, you know, architectural detail to it. And the same thing with the with the cocktail glass, it's got this, you know, this faceted stem that opens up into this clover shape that attaches to the bowl. And I think they just poured a lot more into the the shape and the feel of the glass. I mean, I don't know why that is. I mean, my best guess is that, you know, this stuff wouldn't necessarily have been for everybody right there was a point at which stuff like this would have been exclusive to a certain social class and when glass became a mass market thing that they were selling to everybody they they sort of started cheaping on some of the details or maybe it didn't have to be as flourishy and ornate as it had been in the past but i mean i really I really couldn't say why that that happened in that sort of aesthetic trend. But, um, you know, you'll certainly find, you know, mid-century to the 60s and 70s glasses that look kind of like the ones that you've got now. So this isn't, you know, if you find a glass that looks like that, it's not necessarily a, a modern glass. But if you find something that that looks like this, this iridescent glass with the gilded stem and, you know, all of this, you know, all of these details to it, and it's only about five ounces, that's almost certainly pretty old. Sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, and those are those are great insights. And I, I think it's probably impossible to, to pin down exactly why taste preferences changes. I think it's due to a number of factors, but today's glasses, uh, definitely a little bit smoother, cleaner. I, I, I would use the word sleeker. I, I, I don't, I, not to say that the, the vintage glass isn't isn't very attractive in its own right. But uh, the last thing I want to do here is zoom in on a, a technical term you've been using called faceted. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us yeah, a definition so just, of that? Yeah. So I mean, you, you see a lot of these the stem glasses have these really smooth stems. Um, this one has you know this this six sided sort of cut stem with with sharp edges, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the idea was you know you would always know where your fingertips were on the stem as you were holding it. It makes it a lot harder to casually slip it through your fingers because it's got these, you know, sort of hard edges and, you know, it's got this little sort of notch at the top between the stem and the bowl. And so you always sort of know where your fingers are. You know, it, it gets larger towards the top and then it narrows. It sort of gives you just this tactile cue of the glass. And it's the same 
thing with with this one. It's a it's a six sided, faceted stem, you know, and you always you know, have a good grip on it, and you always know where your fingers are. Um, I I wonder. I mean, I couldn't tell you with certainty, right? You don't want your hand to touch the the bowl of a glass and warm up your drink, especially if it's a you know something in a coupe glass or a cocktail glass that doesn't have ice in it. And so this sort of tells you, you know, it's a little bit of a, a signal. Your fingers are getting too close. You might want to slide the drink down a little bit further. Okay. Yeah, that's really fast. I hadn't, I had never thought about it that way, but that makes complete sense based on, you know, the types of drinks that are going to be in these coupe or cocktail glasses are going to be the ones that don't have ice. And so, you know, today, uh, bartenders in many bars are going to be chilling these glasses down ahead of time. But back when ice was a bit more of a commodity, you, you couldn't necessarily count on that. So that that's an interesting uh, survival mechanism for the the glass and the and the drinker that uh that you pointed out so clearly folks i know what i'm learning right now is that glassware is a lot more complicated and technical than certainly i thought it was when it when i was starting out and the neat thing is if that is the sort of aesthetic that gets you excited then there is room to grow with that you don't have to be satisfied with the glassware that you find find in your department store or on Amazon. Amazon's bestseller, for example, is going to be probably just, you know, a very generic piece of glassware that gets the job done. Uh, where are the best places, Andy, for people to look if they're into glassware like the stuff you've been describing? Uh, I mean, if you if you want to look for, for vintage stuff, right, it's, it's a little bit of legwork. You know, thrift stores, antique stores, antique shows. If you're in the DCA, Area. The DC Big Flea is about four times a year, and that's where we found a ton of our, our favorite stuff. Um, flea markets, garage sales, right? So it, it's a it's kind of a numbers game. You're going to look at a lot of places before you find stuff that you really love. Some of the modern manufacturers, uh, well, I mean, the, the one that I can think of off the top of my head, Cocktail Kingdom, has started lines of glassware that are sort of somewhere in between, right? So it's, you know, the classic coupe shape, maybe about five ounces gilded or silvered rims but it has those sleeker lines of modern glassware you know it doesn't have a faceted stem or something like that so those are probably the glasses that I can think of that are the, the, the closest to getting a vintage style glass without actually going out and, and finding vintage stuff yourself great um, I want to move on to glassware care now because what's going to happen is if you're somebody listening to this podcast and you're just starting your bar or bar cart, you're going to pick up some glassware and you're going to bring it home and, and eventually you're going to use it. And, and when you start using your glassware, there's going to be things like cleaning, storage, and basically just avoiding breaking this stuff, which is a, it's a question that I, that I have, you know, in- I have broken a horrifying amount of beautiful, vintage, irreplaceable glassware. And it just breaks my heart every time <laughs> I do it. And it's usually some stupid careless klutzy move that ruins it but it is all really fragile a lot of it is like I said earlier the glass is thinner um, they, they have different kind of weights and balances to them than um, some of the modern stuff I mean right the, you're not going to tip over the the highball glass or the lowball glass but the coupes and the and the, these stem glasses are very easy to knock over um, so I think the, the biggest thing is you know just to sort of be mindful of it and you know, when you're done with it, clean it and put it away as fast as possible because the killer is the sink and the drying rack 
back and it's just, I've, I've ruined so many glasses by saying, I'm just going to wash this in the morning and then something gets knocked over on top of it and it's in a thousand pieces. Oh. So hand wash, I always say hand wash every piece of vintage glass that you have, the dishwasher will wreck it, you know, wash it and dry it and put it away as, as fast as you use it. And then, you know, try, try not to shock it between hot and cold water because again, some of this stuff is, is old and it, you know, it, it might have manufacturing defects from when manufacturing wasn't as standardized. And I had this beautiful mid-century mixing glass that I was using. And after I stirred a drink in it, I would toss out the ice and I would rinse it with, with hot water. And then the base started to crack. And I realized that I was ruining it by shocking it with the hot water. And so I thought, in the future, cold water only. Gotcha. You know, and some of the stuff like, you know, the this, you know, the 60s and 70s, the this stuff is gonna be, you know, it's it's made to you know, it's it's made more along modern techniques, right? This one, as, as cool as it is, you know, it's, you can see it's, it's molded, right? So it's got a seam. You can see where it was actually poured into a mold as opposed okay. to being hand blown, like something like these little cordial glasses or this, you know, the more ornate coupe might've been hand blown, but anything like this, that, that is sort of made in, um, you know, a modern mold, it's, it's going to be a lot sturdier. It's going to be a lot easier to, to keep that for a while, but it's the older the stuff is, the much easier it is to, to ruin it so just you know treat it treat it accordingly yeah for sure uh i have broken a lot of glassware myself it's breaking a piece of glass is one of those one of those experiences one of those moments where everything was fine before and nothing is it's, like the world is over like when you're sitting there staring at glassware just strewn across the floor in a million pieces it's that's one of the worst feelings so uh, a couple things I want to highlight from what you said Andy was dishwasher uh, I, I just don't think there's a really good excuse to put glassware in a dishwasher unless you are a commercial bar that has again remember back when I was talking about the coupe glasses that you normally get at a bar they're shorter squatter and thicker they're they're yeah. more substantial because they're meant to go in those behind the bar dishwashers get slammed with heat and then come out and nice and shiny and ready for the next drink that goes in them. Uh, they're built to accommodate that, but yeah. not and everything that, that goes into your home bar is going to be. And like, and like I said, with these, these glasses that have the sort of the silvering or the gilding, you'll find a lot of the vintage ones and they'll they'll look like they were scoured, right? They'll look like somebody took steel wool and scraped off the, the metal finish. And I'm pretty sure that that's, that's the dish detergent yeah. in, in a dishwasher. It's meant to scour food off of dishes and it, it, you know, it's very abrasive and it will, it, it'll just ruin those. Right. And another thing, I mean, just think about the mechanics of a dishwasher. Many dishwashers have a, uh, like a little wheel at the top that spins. If you don't want the stems of your glassware smashed by a spinning thing, don't stick them in the top rack of your dishwasher. Don't dishwash them at all. Uh, I think the nice thing is that most people who go through the trouble to get vintage glassware and, and make uh, really informed and and aesthetic choices with their glassware are going to want to take care of it anyway, but just a word to the wise. So uh, luckily I don't have a dishwasher. I don't have to worry about that stuff. But the point about putting them away as soon as you're done with them is also really good because we cannot 
control things like pets. We cannot control things like children. And both of those are a nightmare when there's broken glass on the floor. So good glassware care instructions there. A couple of other things that I wanted to hit, especially for the newcomers to glassware and to cocktails in general. So we've talked about the different types of glasses. If I could just have you imagine that you were, let's say you were 23 years old, 24 years old maybe, and you were just starting to get into cocktails. If you had no glassware beyond like some plastic cups and maybe a few uh, like glass pint glasses at your place and you wanted to start building a bar or bar cart, how would you go about doing that? Uh, geez, I mean, that's a that's a tough question because, I mean, I was a disaster of a drinker, you know, at 23, 24, right? Like, <laughs> sure. it, it took a, a few years of living in D.C. and being exposed to guys like Derek Brown to figure out what was what. But, you know, do it on a budget, right? I mean, like I said earlier, it's, it's really easy to get wrapped up into, you know, well, you know, everything has to be cedar plank infused and it has to be, you know, the, the vintage glass. And it, it doesn't have to be that way to, to build a good home bar or to discover cocktails. And so I think, you know, starting out, I, I didn't have any anything vintage. I mean, right, we had some some coupe glasses, I think, that my wife got from anthropology and, you know, some generic lowball glasses. And that was fine, right? Like, that's all you need to start figuring out the basics. And I think that's probably the most important thing is figure out the basics, master the basics, master the classic recipes, understand how flavors work together, and then start to worry about the next step, right? Sure. And don't go vintage right away, right? Get the Cocktail Kingdom glasses. Because if you break them, it's not great, but it's replaceable, right? Sure. So that's that's where I would start, right? Just focus on mastering this the stuff to make a really good drink and then everything builds on there. Sure. I think that's really good advice. I mean personally I started out with a set of cocktail glasses and a set of lowball or rocks glasses. And for me, I was really only drinking with one other person. So a set of, a simple set of two or a, a situation where it's like an Amazon or a Williams Sonoma or something like that where you can pick a set of two, a set of four, where you have a little bit of flexibility with that. It's a good way to save a little bit of money and don't buy crystal right up front <laughs> because you're gonna you're gonna break the first set of glassware that you get, you're gonna break. Uh, I think it's a learning curve. I think everybody needs to break a glass every once in a while. It's sort of a rite of passage in a restaurant or bar scene. You're gonna break some glassware and the if you see a bartender break uh, experienced bartender break a glass it's not a crisis like they don't even bat an eyelash uh so it is it is something that we all have to do so don't make don't make your first set of glassware uh, a really fancy one and before we jump into the really quick lightning round questions here where people get to get your personality and maybe some motivation to follow you on instagram and other other uh social venues i wanted to ask if there are any pieces of literature so whether it's a book or because you are into vintage stuff maybe there's a an antique guide to either valuations or maybe uh, a set of uh, maybe a website where it kind of breaks down the antique shows in various areas where can people go to learn about either glassware or the hunt for vintage glassware yeah so I mean in terms of in terms of glassware if there's stuff out there I, I'm not aware of it and learning about a lot of this stuff has, has involved a lot of really piecemeal 
real discovery about different styles of glass or different manufacturers. And there's no, as far as I know, there's no central repository, which suggests a huge, a huge gap in the market, right? There's a big opportunity for somebody out there and it's probably not going to be me, but somebody out there to, to put that together. But, um, it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of rumors out there about where glasses come from, like the Marie Antoinette rumor about the coupe glass. You know, you'll see people who sell this stuff online often have no idea what they have. You know, the, one of the things that they used to make in the, in the fifties and sixties were these, uh, mixing glasses that were shaped kind of like a, a giant brandy snifter with a, with a spout and a footed stem. And these things are massive, right? Like they're like a foot tall and people will list them as brandy snifters because they, they literally have no idea what they've got in their hands. Oh man. And it's the closest thing they can think of, but they, really they've got this mixing glass, right? And so the, there's no, there's no one place to turn to. And so if you are interested in this stuff, it, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of digging online into, you know, esoterica. Um, in terms of, you know, literature on, on cocktails, I think the, the single best place to start is with David Wondrich's Imbibe, which is his sort of retelling of Jerry Thomas's original, you know, very first cocktail guide from, you know, 1867 or whatever it was. And right. that was just such a, you know, it was the first one that I read and it, and it was a touchstone for me for a really long time. This is how people used to drink. It, you know, it goes a lot into why glasses are the shape and size that they, you know, these vintage glasses, right? Yeah, there's your copy right there. Oh, excellent. Signed. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's the, if you want to know why drinks are what they are, right? Why we drink the way that we drink, that is the single best place to start with. It's, it's every classic. It's a lot of forgotten classics that make you think, why did we ever forget these? You know, and it does talk about this, the size of drinks. And so you understand why a glass might be only three and a half ounces or five ounces as opposed to, you know, a much larger size like we make today. And so it might not, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a, you know, an introduction to vintage glassware, but it does, you do start to put, put things together when you read that. So that's, that's my, my single best recommendation. Sure. And it's, it's a great book. And one of the nice things about David Wondrich is that he's a, both a scholar and a technician. And so when you read in Bible, or when you read, uh, perhaps punch, which is another great book by him, yeah. uh, he really does get into the weights and measures and maybe the difference between British and American measures, which are very, you know, dissimilar. So you can learn a lot by paying attention and when it comes to vintage glassware, if you want to get into the vintage stuff, then you're going to want to get acquainted with the history of it. And so that's for, for lack of a definitive guide out there, as, as Andy was saying, start, start getting curious, I think is, is good advice. And then there are communities out there where you can find information on antiques. Reddit is a good one where there are communities of people who are actively in discussion about a lot of different antiques where you can go on and post a question about stuff and have some random strangers across the country answer your questions. So that's a really good uh, place as well. Yeah, so here's, here's a good example, right? So there's this, I, this kind of randomly, I found this randomly in a set of glasses that I got, and it's this silvered bar spoon that has no relation to the actual glassware set. Somebody just had it and just stuck it in the box. You know, this awesome little pineapple at the top, and I'm sure Cocktail Kingdom is manufacturing replicas of this right. now, and it's got this great twisted handle, which gives you this great grip, and it's got uh, it was you know, lucky because it actually has a manufacturer's mark on it, Reed and Barton, and a lot of stuff does not have manufacturers.
manufacturer's marks. And so you're left kind of guessing, like, I have no idea who made this coupe glass. So I was able to track it down and somebody who collects silverware, uh, I had a, a webpage that detailed each year that they produced a different top oh, wow. to their bar spoon. And so I was able to say, okay, this was manufactured either in 1940 or in 1952. But most of the stuff, the records just aren't there. And a lot of the companies don't exist anymore because they went out of business or they were absorbed by other companies. So some of it is just digging through, digging through mounds. Like you said, Reddit, go, th- go through those forums and you, you'll you find stuff. It'll just, it's a little bit of legwork. Right. If you have a question, chances are somebody else has had a similar question. So don't get discouraged, but uh, I'd say that type of research is best initiated once you've got a solid grasp on what you like and what you're looking for in the glassware world. So don't just jump into online forums or you'll probably just kind of get frustrated. It's fun detective work, but I mean, it is, it is a little bit of work. For sure. So folks, a couple quick takeaways before we jump into lightning round. We've got a few different types of glasses here. We've got low balls and high balls. We've got cocktail glasses and coupes. And we have glassware that ranges from, I'd, I'd say probably the early days of the 20th century here in front of us, although you can certainly go before that, but it's going to get rarer and rarer to encounter and cocktails may or may not be the main purpose for those glasses. But as we get, as we move from, you know, the, the early 20th century through the mid to the late and late 20th century and our contemporary times, glassware trends have changed from a more ornate, I guess one might argue higher quality with leaded crystal and faceted stems toward a sleeker, rounder, maybe more generic, straighter style. And there are different reasons for it and different costs and benefits. So always store your glassware in a safe place after washing it and not in a dishwasher if you can help it at all. So uh, to me, those are the big takeaways here. And I want to let you know that we will be linking to all of this in the show notes if it has, you know, whether that's David Wondrich's Imbibe or uh, some of the places where you can learn about this glassware online. We'll definitely have some links there as well as some photos of the glassware that we just discussed. But getting into the lightning round, Andy, what is your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite of all time, what is a cocktail that you've recently been enamored with? So I think I think my all-time favorite is is the Sazerac, uh, the classic New Orleans, you know, absinthe rinse, uh, old-fashioned riff, and uh, it's it's actually fun to think about in terms of glassware because um, you know a lot of it, it's the it's the one drink that I can say I can go to a bar and if I can order it, it's a simple drink. But if they get it wrong, I know that they're going to get a lot of other stuff wrong. Um, so a lot of Sazeracs are served. You know, I, I use the term wash line, right? That's where that's the point in the glass where the cocktail reaches when it's poured into the glass. And a lot of Sazeracs will be poured right up to the rim. Their wash line will be really high. But you lose a lot of that wonderful aroma from the absinthe, which I think is like the, the, the greatest hallmark of the of the Sazerac. Right? You can put a, a little tiny bit of absinthe in and it's going to have an, a little bit of an effect on the flavor. But that aroma is so overwhelming. So I like to put them into low-ball glasses like this, where you might only have two, two and a half ounces of liquid on the bottom this really low wash line and all of this negative space in the glass that would kind of otherwise look kind of weird but it, the whole inside of the glass is coated with absinthe and you just it's just pouring off all of those complicated smells and oh, that's wow. like 
yeah, when I started making Sazerac's, I had no idea, and I was pouring them really high, and I thought I could never quite capture that wonderful experience that I got when I had my first perfect Sazerac. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's the missing elements, right? You know, you have to think about the, the drink in relation to the glass, and you're not getting a bad drink, but it's not as good as it could be if you really think about its relation to, to the glass. I realize I'm kind of contradicting myself earlier, but I, I think it's it's a fun way of thinking about it. I don't think you're contradicting yourself at all. I think what you're doing is you're pointing out that there's that it's sort of like a spectrum, like when like a cocktail. It's not a, it's not an object. It's, a, it's an experience, and and so you know you're you're putting the glassware in the same experience as the liquid, and it's just so complicated. I really love your use of the term negative space there. It's a really artsy term to be using, and as somebody with an arts degree that is currently sitting on a shelf right now, not being really used, it excites me. But that is. To, to kind of like speak to the audience right now, I think that is the hallmark of when you've spent enough time with something, you start looking at it in a different way. And it, I guess some of the technical barriers break down and become a little bit more emotional and a little bit more resonant. So as opposed to the amount of volume between the liquid line and the top of the glass, it is now being referred to as negative space, which is like something that poets and, and artists use all the time to describe aspects of their work. So uh, I really love that. And kind of riffing on that question, is there a piece of glassware that is either your favorite of all time or perhaps your favorite right now, this week, this month, this year? Yeah, so like I've, I've gushed over the, the Libby glass. I, these are kind of my favorite right now, these these coupe glasses. And they're, they're kind of so over the top, right? Like it's got this gilded stem and this glass sphere at the top of the stem. And then it's got a little bit of a gilded rim and it's iridescent. Um, and it's, it's very frou-frou, but man, like a drink looks so good in it and so if you're shooting pretty much any drink for for instagram or taking a photo of it, you're going to serve it to anybody it just looks amazing and again it's you know it's it's art deco it's just really kind of you know lots of lots of curvy lines and just lots of architectural shape to it it's just got a lot going on and it's yeah that's probably my number one right now that's awesome. I really, I, I love just the collection that you have here. And we're definitely, you know, before before I let you leave here, I'm definitely going to snap a bunch of photos so that we can uh, get people familiar with that. Is there anything that you want to communicate to people who are listening to this podcast before we uh, give them the different means by which they can connect with you? No, I mean, I just it's it's just one of those fun aspects, right? And, and it doesn't have to be uh, a big deal. And like I said, you know, start start at your thrift store, or, you know, start at your local Salvation Army, and just browse through the shelves, take a couple minutes, and you might discover something really amazing. And for not a lot of money and that's just a really great way to start incorporating some of this cool stuff and you know it definitely it, it's an easy way to wow people right because you know, there's there's not a ton of stuff that's made today that looks like this stuff so it's an easy way to impress you know your friends or or something when you pour them a drink and something like this even though you know you could probably snag something like this um you know in, in a thrift store for not for not a lot it looks like a million bucks right yeah that's and some of the things that that we're going to be trying to highlight in this podcast are ways to kind of 10x your your results with relatively little effort. So uh, long story short, vintage glassware, or at least 
carefully considered glass where vintage isn't your thing like based on the selections that i have here it, it seems like vintage is not my thing although i can certainly appreciate many aspects of it with the facets the weight of the glass the color of the glass but uh you know whether it's vintage or carefully considered then you know uh, you can really get a lot of effect with that uh if you if you do a good job and put a little bit of time into it Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to point out, right. I think, you know, I, I'm a big collector of, of vintage glassware. I'm not crazy about a lot of vintage lowball glasses. They just don't have a lot going for them. And I think there are a lot of people making, this is probably the one big exception lowball glasses. There's tons of people making like really beautiful lowball glasses, really clean lines, but they have a ton of a weight to them. And that's for me, like having a, a, a nice hefty glass in my hand makes me feel more like Don Draper than having, you know, this, sure. this silver vintage glass right and so it doesn't have to be vintage to be cool it should just be the thing that makes you feel the best about that drink amazing I, and I, I think we should leave it on that because I think that's a perfect encapsulation of everything we've been talking about so far so Andy how can people get in touch with you and how can people check out your selection of glassware uh, sure so you can find me on Instagram uh, I'm Lipperary um, we also have a shop on Etsy uh, it, we've actually been thinking about taking that down and trying to switch more towards local pop-up shops it's still up for now um, you can reach me by by email on andrew at liquorary.com and I also do a semi-weekly cocktail post on my wife's blog she runs oh so beautiful paper okay great yeah so uh, we love collaborations uh, we, we personally have done a lot of collaborations and this this podcast itself is just a set of small individual collaborations so it's great that you're able to, to do that with your wife who's also you know that, that you can kind of connect on the aesthetic front where she's doing you know her projects and you can come together once a week and provide something beautiful for folks to to check out so everybody we will link to all of the ways to get in touch with andy in the show notes and as always please let us know here at the podcast podcast at modernbarcart.com if you have any questions and if you find a piece of glassware whether it's vintage or modern that you think is really cool then snapshot of it preferably with a cocktail inside share it with us on social media and and we will reshare it and uh, congratulate you on your awesome find. But until next time, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips, or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Bar Cart, or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.